EMS One Academy is the leading way in high-quality, affordable training for EMTs and paramedics nationwide. Your department can take advantage of more than 150 full-length training courses and 225 hours of EMS continuing education in a robust learning management system. Training is accredited by the Commission on Accreditation of Pre-Hospital Continuing Education. Administrative features include group administration, credential management, custom course creation, assignments, offline training tracking, and more, all customized to meet the needs of the EMS training officers. To schedule a free demo, go to ems1academy.com. Well, happy EMS week, everyone. It's time to go inside EMS. I'm your host, Chris Sumolaro, and with me always is my faithful companion. I don't know if that sounds good, faithful companion, Kelly Grayson. Kelly, how are you? Makes me sound like a golden retriever, man. Um, oh, a golden retriever. If you were going to be a dog, would you be a golden retriever? No, I'd be a black lab. Would you really? Uh, oh, yeah, most definitely. I'd be a black lab. Is that your, I'm, favorite, I'm, is that your favorite dog? Black oh, lab? yeah. Okay. But meanwhile, oh, yeah, you, but meanwhile, you own the yellow lab. You own a yellow lab. No, uh, Shine is a a mutt. He's a uh, part as his as his breeder described it. He's half Great Pyrenees, half Bernese Mountain Dog, and half Husky, which makes him a dog and a half apparently. So uh, if you do the math, um, that's right. Yeah. So, but yeah. he looks he looks like a golden. Nah, he's he's uh, kind of a dingy white and, and very furry. So he's he's a sweetheart, though. You know, it's funny. That's how I describe you. <laughs> yeah, we're faithful companion. You make me sound like I'm your Sancho Panza to your your Don Quixote. All right, here we uh, go. Which then. which probably fits because of the two, Sancho was the only one who was sane, and and Don Quixote was crazy. So. Yeah, right, man. So back from the EMS World Tour, how'd that go? I loved it. Uh, man, the initial assessment conference in Lake Placid, New York, if you were within a three or four hour drive there, uh, you need to go to that conference every year. They they do it upright. They have excellent uh, cadre of speakers. They uh, they treat their speakers well. They treat their attendees well. Uh, and it's a it's a gorgeous venue at the uh, Lake Placid Convention Center and, and Olympic Complex there. Awesome. And Lake Placid is a beautiful, uh, great place oh, yeah. to visit. So, you know, Kelly, I guess, you know, we're winding up on EMS week. A lot of things happened this week in EMS. Of course, we had the, uh, you know, the bombing earlier this week in London, which, again, was crazy. Yeah. It, it just makes you think, when it comes to the job that we do, we need more than one week. And I think that you say this all the time. We need more than one week to really kind of thank the men and women who are in our field who do the job that they do and, and you know, not get the credit you know, for being on the front lines every day. Yeah. Uh, well, we need to, we need to zealously advocate for our profession 51 weeks out of the year and then take the third weekend in May off. I vote for a beach somewhere with an, with a drink with an umbrella in it. Uh, but we, we have it backwards. We, we, you know, we, we kind of just toil in, in anonymity and, and uh, do our daily drudgery uh, and content to be ignored by the rest of the healthcare profession and our, our policy, public policy makers. And then we go to EMS on the Hill today uh, and get ignored in person by uh, our policy makers. Yeah, uh, no, we man, should I'm be, gonna, we should be fussing for 51 years. 
Yeah, I'm going to push back on that. I mean, they when we're there, they're really paying good attention. And I got to tell you, I mean, the folks at NAMT are doing a great job with, uh, and we really need to kind of talk about some of those things that happened on Hill Day. Uh, mm-hmm. Because we really need to start to take a better uh, a better push. You know, we talk about uh, advocating 52 weeks a year. I think that really comes with grassroots uh, lobbying. And that's, that's all of us. Yep, that's all of us that are in the truck need to be able to get there with our congressmen, need to be able to get to the offices of our senators, need to write the letters. Because without that, we're relying on one or two people that have the voice of EMS on Capitol Hill and that certainly isn't enough. We don't have the money to get those lobbyists that other career fields do. But there are so many individuals that are in the truck right now that can spend a few minutes writing a letter, spend a few minutes calling their congressmen, spend a few minutes calling the, the offices of their senators, their local offices. That's how we make a difference for our career field 51 weeks out of the year. Well, and and not only that, you mentioned it all uh, grassroots efforts, and and they they need to start locally. You want to really get some bang for your buck. Uh, get to know your city council and your local governing agency, and and get the word out to them what it is you do, what it costs to get it done, and how vital to your community it is. Because ultimately, those those senators and congressmen. Uh, in Washington can only affect, if they choose to, CMS guidelines and, and, and overall health care reimbursement and that sort of thing. Well, Medicare is not going to be sustainable for us for very long. we got to figure out how to make our local communities understand um, that EMS is a vital service and that it needs to be paid for by something other than Medicare dollars. Um, and, and I think that's the, the avenue to sustainability in the future. But it, neither here nor there. Um, if, you're, if you're out there advocating for your profession and for your agency, more power to you. Um, and I'm going to hoist a beer for you. Awesome. And again, you know, we, we hope you had a great EMS week. But we're going to bring a topic that really came from another listener. Uh, and, you know, we enjoy that. I mean, you keep those, you know, you keep those suggestions coming. Mm-hmm. Th- those are the things that you guys want to hear. I mean, Kelly and I spend a lot of time in figuring out, you know, what what stories to bring in, what topics to bring in. But if there's something that you guys want to hear specifically, we want to be able to, you know, m- you know, we want to be able to reply to that. We want to be able to give you the resources that help you do your job. And, and Kelly, I'm going to kind of kick it to you to introduce uh, the topic this week that comes from our listener. Uh, yeah, we had a listener send us into our editor in chief, Greg Freeze, and and uh, this is a sent us a screenshot from a an EMS Facebook forum, and I remember reading this uh, when it appeared. Um, and EMS instructors out there and in EMS advocates, go ahead and and uh, take your blood pressure medication now because this is guaranteed to pressure test your cerebral arteries. Right. My EMT's local practical exam is tomorrow. I haven't ever splinted anything in my life. I've only applied a sling twice. I've barely touched an oxygen regulator. I can only take a radial pulse sometimes. I didn't even touch the KED. I've never done a trauma assessment in less than 10 minutes when the time limit is 10. I don't actually know how to size a C-collar. I just kind of fake it because people got tired of explaining it. And I've only done backboarded someone once without doing movements, which would cause life-altering paralysis. Yet my instructors tell me that they're confident that I'll pass the test this week and the state test next week. The poor instructors must have totally missed my sheer level of incompetency. And the, our listener asks, is this a, a lazy student or a bad instructor? Um, 
Why can't it be both? <laughs> I, I, I can't even parse the level of wrong on so many levels of, of this post. Uh, I'm, I'm flabbergasted, man. I'm going to let you, I, I want to hear your reaction to it. You know, I think that it goes really to kind of a couple different points that you bring up. You know, first off, I think we need to be able to talk about those instructors that are doing courses just for the sake of doing courses and not really taking care of the students. And, you know, we certainly know those programs, Kelly. You know, whether we're on the street, one of the things we always ask is, you know, what program are you in or what program did you graduate from? And we have our opinions about those programs. And, And usually those programs or our opinions are based on the calibers of students that come out of them. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so I think that there are problems at the instructor level. Certainly, I think that there are problems at the student level. But the student level, I think, is, again, an instructor problem because if you can't recognize that you have a lazy student and you're allowing them to get through your program, you're not a very good instructor. Secondarily, uh, I think that if you are a student uh, that is like our like our uh, uh, person who submitted here, and they are having challenges that they don't think that they should pass. I really want to kind of examine what they've been doing this whole time to make the determination of of how they've been trying to gain their skills. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't count the number of students, Kelly, that I've chatted with who says that their instructor wasn't worth a darn, but yet they put in twice the effort to get through the course and teach themselves what they needed to learn to become a great provider or maybe even a let's say a, a, a an adequate provider until they become mm-hmm. a great provider because your, your your training never really ends so i think there's a lot of things to focus on here and i just don't know where to start what do you think well you know every instructor has uh has that cadre of students that that are world beaters and they would pass an emt class by correspondence course if you can draw this stethoscope on a matchbook cover you too can be an emt and they'll do it whether you're a good instructor or a bad instructor and then you've got on the other end of the spectrum the unpolished turds uh, who need to be flushed as quickly as possible lest they stain the rest of the class. But somewhere in between lie those guys on the bubble that are going to pass or fail based on your ability as an instructor. Um, this person, I believe, falls on the, uh, on the unpolished turd end of the scale. Um, quite frankly, it's my biggest fear that someone like this would, would cram and study and manage to get, uh, good enough to pass on this particular day. Um, if they have uh, gone through their entire EMT class slacking like she, like they describe, I don't know if it's a he or she, but if they've gone through their entire EMT class just skating through as they describe, um, my fear is that they actually get an EMT card and approach their profession and their, their daily practice the same way. Um, that's a trait that should have been recognized by the EMT instructor early on and they should have been flushed from the class you can't polish a turd like that someone's not going to put out any effort and is allowed to remain in class without putting out any effort uh does not have the right attitude to become an emt um even if they were to suddenly turn things around uh they don't have the attitude it takes to become an emt you know i've got students in my class right now chris that are struggling Uh, they are busting their humps and they are struggling to get above the pass line some and a couple of them are are well below the pass line 
I don't really have any issue with them or any fear that they will be decent EMTs when and if the class comes. I'll give them extra work. Uh, I'll give them extra assignment work uh, to do. Um, and I'm, I have pretty good confidence that they'll eventually get through it. Yeah. Those people I don't mind. Uh, it's the people that, that don't put out any effort uh, and hover right near the pass-fail line and then manage to eat through the course uh, one point above a path uh, of a failing grade. Um, those are the ones that I, I really strive to weed out of my courses early on. Yeah, but that, that goes to the fact of you being a good instructor and you recognizing the challenges that they have. I, I do want to come back to this, but I do want to make a, top, uh, a comment on what you said as well. And then the challenges are, if these people are coming out of EMT school and they are subpar EMTs and they, they pass by the skin of their teeth, I'm not going to hire them as, as, the, yeah. you know, as the employer. So now we're, we're really kind of creating somebody who's went to training and they're not marketable into the job world. But, you know, so, Kelly, I, I, I do want to touch on because uh, you made this segue into the students that you're having now. So mm -hmm. maybe maybe we start off with the you know the lazy student end of it and the people that you said are having challenges of being at the line or below the line right now how do you recognize the fact other than the exams that they are truly struggling and they're having challenges and then you know as we talk about the student end I want to revert back to the poor instructor end later and, and kind of give some tips on that but how are you recognizing the fact that they're really working their butts off? Um, well, their assignments are turned in on time. Um, they're active and participating in class. And, and I get some that their assignments are not turned in on time, uh, but it's not a consistent thing. They, they have other issues in their, in their lives going on. I've got one who's, who's taking another full-time course somewhere else for an entirely different profession, uh, and another one who's a single mom of five kids, all grade school and, and uh, uh, grade and, and or in middle and elementary school. So uh, she's got a full-time job just being a mom, yet she's going to EMT school to try to, uh, you know, uh, start a career that'll allow her to, to be a better mom and, and provide her for her kids. I have no issue with that. Uh, I can usually tell who are the students who are working hard simply by how they behave in class. Are they engaged in class? Are they are they trying hard? Are they willingly participating in the uh, in the uh, scenarios and, and the uh, exercises that I do? That's that's if you've got your eyes open as an instructor, that's not a difficult student to spot. Uh, likewise, the lackadaisical, disinterested. Uh, disengaged students is not an e is not a hard one to spot either. They they kind of show themselves pretty easily, um, so I really don't. I've never had an issue spotting the ones that are uh, uh, struggling, but just not scholastically not as as uh, as skilled as the other students. Probably the best EMT I've ever worked with, best partner I ever had was at his best a C student. At his best, he had he did. You know, he just didn't have the book knowledge, and he struggled to make a uh, to make a C in any uh, on any test I ever gave. And a, a C is the minimum passing score in my class. He struggled for everything he got, but that was the key. He never quit. He was he's the type that that had to work his butt off for everything he ever got. Uh, and as such, he's never going to be complacent about it. He's never going to be one of those types that's satisfied that he knows enough about his profession. Um, 
those are the, the kinds that are going to make uh, superior EMTs. They're going to keep on learning and they'll be lifelong learners because they're never satisfied. They're never complacent. The ones that it came easy to who uh, just kind of skated through and gave out the minimum effort uh, necessary uh, are the ones I worry about because uh, they'll they'll remain complacent throughout their practice and, and the, the, the uh, profession of EMS will pass them by, but they don't care enough to, to realize that. Yeah, and I think that one of the things, and I want to touch back on this hybrid component too, but I think that one of the things that we've got to think about too is that when we think about students in school, um, not everybody is book smart. Not everybody has the no. intellect to, to kind of absorb the lectures, and, and really they kind of learn by doing. And, you know, is EMS one of those jobs, Kelly, that you can have a on-the-job training program that uh, you don't even need them to sit in class. Maybe they go through a, a process of developing the competencies on the job, and then after, a, I don't know, a 24-week period, a 30-week period, they go ahead and sit for their exams. I mean, I think that there are a lot of people that I've worked with in my career that I think would have benefited from that model instead of having to sit in, course, uh, sit in class for uh, however many hours and try to, re, you know, uh, absorb that knowledge and then regurgitate it on an exam. So I think that we do a disservice to the people who are tactile learners who could really benefit from a solid program of uh, on-the-job training. And when we think about the, you know, the things that need to be worked on, is that something that uh, could benefit the people who need that? But secondarily, I want to get back to your thought because you talk about that you're able to see students in class and how well that they work. Well, how about in this hybrid model? How about in these online models? Is this something now that is going to cause an instructor to maybe miss the mark, if we quote Deadpool, uh, putting forth maximum effort and getting the results that they need to <laughs> or failing? It's a good deal harder in a uh, any kind of learning model where you're not having uh, daily contact with the students or weekly contact with the students. So uh, a purely online uh, learning model would would be difficult. Well, uh, and the onus there uh, is on all your adjunct instructors because there's still no EMS training program program that doesn't require a practical component. Um, you may do the, the vast majority of your, your stuff, uh, the vast majority of your cognitive or your didactic component online and watching videos, but you have to go out there and put your hands on a mannequin in front of an instructor at some point. In those cases, uh, you have to have really, really good clinical instructors you can lean on and, and a really well-formatted uh, scenarios and, and uh, active learning exercises that don't allow them to just, uh, um, you know, monkey see, monkey do their way through a, a skill. Um, uh, you have to have a scenario and, and learning exercises devised in such a way that they require integ integration and synthesis uh, of all that knowledge rather than just rotely performing a skill. Um, in the hybrid model uh, that I do, um, it, it's kind of a double-edged sword because you've got two kinds of students who struggle. you got the students who uh, don't do well in a traditional classroom format, uh, and a hybrid model suits them fairly well because they know what, what, they, uh, uh, they know what way works best for them. On the other hand, more common is you have students who just simply don't know how to learn. They don't know how to study. Uh, they don't know how to organize their their thoughts. Uh, they they lack uh, 
the metacognition um, necessary to uh, succeed in a hybrid learning model where most of the learning is self-directed. Uh, metacognition is uh, a, th- a term that John Flavel uh, coined back in the 70s. And it's uh, thinking, thinking how to think or learning how to learn. And a lot of people just simply don't know how. Uh, they've spent their entire scholastic career mindlessly highlighting textbooks while an instructor droned on and on uh, and managed to memorize enough facts without having to apply them uh, that they could pass. But uh, it, it's, it's a good deal more complex than that, uh, especially when you're doing it on your own uh, without a, uh, an instructor giving you feedback. So those kind of people who don't know how to learn, they don't know how to study, they don't know what learning methods work best for them, uh, are going to struggle in that kind of environment. The, the people that just simply don't uh, do well in a traditional classroom are, are probably going to flourish. Uh, the question is, is how can you identify them as instructors early on? Yeah, and I think now if we flip the coin, though, Kelly, how do we talk about the courses that have those instructors that may not be worth their salt? And you know, when we think about them, and, and you and I, we, we know these people, and we've, we've seen them, uh, I'm going to say do their business, but not do their business when it comes to, you know, students. Now, I think in paramedic school, you have a little bit more of, of foundation. Again, mm-hmm. I, I think that you should have experience before you go into paramedic school where you think that <laughs> they can go right in. But as an as a paramedic student, hopefully you have a little bit more foundation to say my instructor doesn't know what he's talking about. But how about that EMT who's coming off the street now that is dealing with an instructor who doesn't really have their best interest in mind? How do you know you're getting the best information? How do you know he's giving you uh you know the the most up to date uh, research? How do you know that he's teaching you? The, the right way to do it and the shortcuts to get to the, you know, this done, giving you the, the pathophysiology, even as an EMT, to understand the whys you're doing the things that you're doing. I'm going to teach you how to put on this KED, but let's talk about the pathophysiology of what may be going on in the body of why you're doing this. I mean, so when you think about it from that aspect, how does a student who enters EMT school know they're not getting the education they're supposed to be getting? Unfortunately, most of them uh, find out the hard way when they take a standardized certification exam. Uh, they they learned if they were uh, they learn only then when they've ponied up their money and it's counting uh, whether they received a good education or not. Uh, sadly, uh, they usually have to wait till the end of the course for that, uh, and they wasted all their time and their money. Uh, in in today's educational environment, I would say that the the best way a student can make sure that they're getting adequate instruction is first of all talk to peers who have taken their courses before, but never uh, more importantly than that, never limit your learning to one source only. Don't rely purely on your instructor as the be all end all oracle of what is valid. Uh, and and uh, uh, valid information EMS. Um, I'm not going to listen to just Chris Sevalero as an instructor. I'm going to seek outside input uh, and and people who will either either uh, corroborate or debunk whatever it is he's telling me. Um, and that's what I would recommend uh, any student do, including my students. Don't take my word for something because I'm doing my best to, to give you the, the current information as I know it. But there's always a possibility that someone else has a different take on the topic or, or knows of research or practices that, that uh, 
uh, you know, counter what I'm telling you. Uh, and I'm, I'm objective enough as an instructor, if a student comes to me with that and says, hey, uh, uh, instructor so-and-so says you're full of crap and here's why, well, I'll, I'll take a look at what I'm telling them and evaluate that accordingly. What really bugs me is, is how these instructors uh, who teach us outdated information uh, that prepare students so poorly for the exam, how they are allowed to still continue teaching. That's what I don't get. Uh, I, I'm going to lay a lot of the blame for these these uh, uh, bad EMT instructors on the at the doorstep of the administrative and the and the regulatory uh, EMS agencies in their state, whoever it is that credentials these instructors. Because in my state, if I don't keep a 70% pass fail rate on the national registry exam, I don't teach. If I don't get better than 70%, I don't teach. They will put me on probation the first time and decertify me the second time, and I have to go through the whole rigmarole of becoming a lead instructor again uh, if I want to teach after that. I, I don't know, and and 70% is a low bar to clear. I've never in my career, with the exception of one EMT class, been below uh, 92 93%, uh, and it hovers around 95 I had one bad EMT class where I let a couple of students go that were those types that uh, skate through, uh, lots of talent, uh, no work ethic, uh, and I trusted them to uh, to practice and, and to be diligent and approach the uh, exam with all the uh, the uh, seriousness they could, and, and they let me down on that, learned my lesson in. Uh, uh, don't care how much I like in or how talented I think you can be, if you don't show it to me in class, you ain't passing. So I just, I don't know how instructors like that are, are allowed to continue teaching. Yeah, and I think that one of the things that you bring up there as well is that, you know, in instructors really have to do their due diligence to make sure that they're teaching the best material that they can. And, you know, I think we regurgitate a lot of the things that we hear. You know, one of my favorite leadership quotes comes from the Dalai Lama that says, when we talk, we're only repeating what we already know, but when we listen, we may learn something new. Well, I think it's the same thing for instructors, that we, we believe the things that we hear in school, we regurgitate the things that we hear in school, and we think them to be true. And one of my favorite things to talk about in comparison to that is when we talk about the atria. Every time we talk about the atria, we always say they're superior to the ventricles, they sit on top of the ventricles, and you know they're above the ventricles. And in actuality, if you think about the anatomy of the heart, the way that the heart sits in the chest, they're not above the ventricles. They're actually behind the ventricles because of the mm -hmm. way that the heart sits. I mean, when you do CPR, you're doing CPR on the left ventricle. So if you think about how that heart sits in your chest like a fist and that left ventricle is forward, the atria aren't on top of the ventricles. They're behind the ventricles. But yeah. if we don't take the time to learn that stuff and if we don't take the time to, you know, to, to, to really kind of uh, uh, prove or disprove the things that we're learning in school – all we're doing is talking about the same information that we talk about over and over and over again. And I think that that really needs to change. But i got to tell you, Kelly, you know, to, to end the MS week, I think this was a really excellent uh, conversation. I think that the students that are out there and even the students who are, are continuing to learn, and one of my biggest pet peeves about EMS is that as EMS providers, 
we don't take the pride in our continued growth of our knowledge, our continued growth of our professional development. We think we come out of school, we think we've got a certification, we think we know it all, and we think that we don't have to continue to learn. When we sit in front of our medical director or when we go to continuing education classes, people sit there with... with with you know, they have umbrage to the fact that they've got to sit there and try to learn something new. You know what? Learn something new. Challenge mm-hmm. the challenge the instructors that are teaching you stuff and become the cl- best clinician that you can. You know, I'll I'll wrap it up by saying it's this week is about being a steward of your profession and advocating for uh, for your profession with uh, the general public um, and both people uh, in this scenario have failed in that. Uh, The instructor has failed to notice a student who is not engaged and not learning and has made it apparently all the way through their class, which should be an insult to any competent EMS instructor out there. And the student has managed to make it all the way through an EMT class that they paid for without learning anything. You haven't learned anything. Please, God, do not enter my profession. Stay out. Go find a rewarding career in the fast food service industry. But, hey, that's what I think. That's what Chris thinks. We want to know what you think. Was this a lazy student or an incompetent instructor? Email us at the show at ems1.com. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes. And for myself and co-host Chris Sabalero, happy EMS week. We'll catch you guys next week.